at that point, I figured that this was just a game. Like it was just a game. Church was a game. And I love games and I love to win. So I'm competitive. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be the best Christian there is. This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is a place for you to meet the community, the people who make up The Way family. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church, and I want to welcome you to the second season of this podcast. Joining us on this episode is Will Whiteside. Will, thank you so much for being here with us. That's an honor to be here. Thank you for asking me. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Will, I think the first time that you and I ever met, I feel kind of tricked, and I just have to maybe share that with you because your son, David, attended our first ever science camp. And one of the things that I enjoy most about that week is we have a camp cookout at the end of the week, and I get to meet all of the campers' parents. And my wife and I got to sit down and have a burger with you and Christy. And just, I remember enjoying that conversation, remember learning a lot about you and this city because I had lived here relatively short amount of time. You were living here, you had a church you loved. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, new friend has a church that he loves, but I'll probably never see him again. And then it was like two weeks later, there you were visiting our church. And I'm like, oh, you're back. <laughs> it was great to meet you again. So that was the first time we met and I felt I felt rather duped. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny about that is, so I had never heard of The Way, I'll be honest, but my wife had, Christy had. She's the one who found out about the science camp. We were looking for something for David to do during the summer and it was it was perfect. And what we didn't talk about was that at that same time, while we loved the church, just due to some concerns about growth opportunities and leadership opportunities, Chris and I were praying and talking through potentially looking for a different church. Part of it was going to a non-denominational church was great, and there's a lot of great things about it. But we were looking for a church that had a background to hold people accountable, to hold leadership accountable, to have a, a kind of tradition and a history behind it. Because I'd been in this church for a while and I'd seen a lot of changes happen. And a lot of it was done relatively quickly and not really with a lot of, I think, sometimes forethought into potential ramifications of decisions and stuff like that. So, we decided after talking to you I and mean, seeing all the great people that helped out with this camp, we're like, hey, you know, we're not doing anything this Sunday, two weeks later. I was like, let's just go visit this church. And we went the one time and it was great. You know, it was a great experience. And we actually knew some people there that we didn't even know went to the way and being able to just talk to them. And we came back a couple more times afterwards before we were like, all right, I think we want to, I think we want to have some more conversations with with you and just about what this church is. Well, I want to I want to pick up on some of those conversations that we had including things that you just mentioned, talk about church leadership, church accountability, and we'll come back to those, but first maybe tell us a little bit about your background, just you growing up personally, your experience 
even with church and Christianity? Of course. So I was the only boy. I had five sisters, and I used to joke. I tell people that I was raised by a pack of wild women, <laughs> and so it's probably explains some of my crazy tendencies sometimes. And we were a very church-going family. Like, joke, if the doors of the church were open, we went. It was mostly Baptist. Sometimes we went to a couple of non-denominational churches, but mostly Baptist churches. And so this, that was just what we did. Sunday morning, we went. Wednesday night, we went. Sunday morning for Sunday school, we went. And I just thought that's what everybody did. And it wasn't until as I started to grow older that I started to see some discrepancies between what was being talked about on Sundays mornings and what I saw in the towns with the people that were doing the speaking on Sundays. And it all kind of culminated in a, I remember this vividly, I was eight years old. We were in a church meeting and a gentleman who was my Sunday school teacher started berating and cursing one of the elders and the pastor of the church. And my mom like quickly grabbed the kids once it started kind of leveling out, but the damage was already done. I, I just remember in the elevators or going down in the basement to the youth room, just thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, like how I couldn't compare the two between what people were saying and what people were acting like. And so at that point, I figured that this was just a game. Like it was just a game. Church was a game. And I love games. and I love to win. So I'm competitive. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to be the best Christian there is. And so I memorized the Bible verses. I went to Bible camp. I took the pastors and excelled the pastor's class. And I got baptized because that was, you know, just the thing you did when you were 13. But I didn't mean any of it. Like even when we had youth pastors, I would preach. I would do the sermons for youth Sunday, but I didn't mean any of it because I just figured it was a game. Nobody else seemed like they meant it. I mean, it to the point where I even went to a Bible college. Like I went to a very Southern Baptist conservative college for a semester, still searching for the truth, but not really believing it. And even there, it was definitely better than at churches. But even there, I saw some of the same hypocrisy that I was seeing in other churches. Let me ask you this, because this is, you know, you said that incident where you saw your Sunday school teacher upset with your church's leaders. That happened when you were eight. When you were in your teens, you were very, it sounds very, very perceptive of what's going on in church life. Are these kind of your reflections looking back on that period in history? Or even then at age 13, are you thinking like, you know, I, I really don't believe this. This is just kind of what you do. That's a great question. I think it was more of the latter that I just felt that it was what you do. You know, it was, you went to church, you put on your good clothes, you acted a certain way, but it doesn't really matter. And then you come football time, a Sunday afternoon or Monday morning at work or at school, you get to do whatever you want. And that's pretty much the way that I lived was I would do whatever I wanted Sunday afternoon through Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, get dressed up and go to church. One question that I'm, I'm, going to ask you is use the H word hypocrite and describing it as a game as we're doing right now is, is kind of concerning because you're admitting that maybe you lived that way for a long time, or you have sensed that at times. That's a huge reason why 
people who aren't a part of churches are not a part of churches because they have put their finger on that. They've noticed that. And there is nothing more inauthentic about that. And yet here you are, you are one of the most God-fearing, faithful Christian men that I know. Obviously your story, you know, not to ruin where we're going, but has a happy ending with this. What would you say to somebody who is where you were from that really, I'll I'll call it a traumatic experience at age eight, you kind of brought us through your college years where you said it was the same. I I was doing the Christian thing, but fully aware of the hypocrisy of it. What would you say to someone who's not doing the Christian thing because of that? Because they're looking at hypocrites. Yeah, I think where I've landed on this is that the Christian thing is less about other people and much more about how I act and how I act in faith and how I respond to situations. And it's much more about me and my faith and what I do. I think too long I was focusing on other people. And that's kind of where it was, was I was thinking about what all the other people were doing in the church or in the college I was at or, you know, who claimed to be Christians versus focusing more on my own actions. <laughs> and 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 I think that's kind of where a little bit of the hypocrisy that I have lived in my life was that I was less focused on me responding in a Christ-like manner and much more focused on how other people were responding. And so I think that that's the answer that I would tell to to somebody who might be struggling with that idea is, is that, you know, look, one, humans are not perfect. We're always going to make mistakes. I'll be the first one to admit and we get a chance to do that in confession. And and I do that with my accountability partners, you know, say like, look, I really messed this up. But I think the difference part of it is, is that we are honest about it and we're upfront about it versus trying to hide behind a mask mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. that we have all the answers or that we are perfect. I think that's really good. What you said made me think of something in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. You know anything about that story? There you have some devils or demons trying to tempt somebody who has just become a Christian. And this happens shortly after the gentleman becomes a Christian. They say, well, what are we going to do? Now he's going to church. And one of the tactics that they use is, oh, let's get him to not pay attention in church. Let's get him to look at the people he's sitting next to and judge the, oh, there's the you know grocer who I've seen during the week acting this way, saying these things. Oh, there's this old lady that I've seen gossiping and doing this. And now here she is in church. And exactly what you said, where our, our focus gets taken away from Christ and his word and what he's done for me. And now I'm all focused on what are these people doing? Well, Will, you brought us up to your experience. You just started getting into what it was like going to Bible college. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I went to a very conservative Bible college. For example, the dorms were separated. So males can only go in the male dorms. Females can only go in the female dorms. And uh, funny story, I found out at the end of the semester that there was a one-hour period where like the boys got to go into their sister girl's dorm for like one hour and then vice versa. The girls would come to the boy dorms. And I found that out because I came into my room and my roommate was vacuuming. And I was like, wait, we have a vacuum? I've never seen a vacuum the entire semester. And he's like, yeah, it's in the cleaning room. I'm like, oh, wait, we have a cleaning room? But it was a very conservative school with a lot of rules. And we were at chapel three times a week. We, you know, you had to go to church. And it was all, I mean, it was great. Like, I loved going to chapel and singing the songs and, you know, listening. But 
again, it was, I didn't see the total package from a lot of the, the people there. There was, there was a sum, uh, you know, I gotta be honest, there was a lot of people who, who lived the life, but there were also a lot of people who didn't. And I think that was probably where I learned how to study Mm-hmm. And never really had a study, and so I applied those same things to like trying to study the Bible and like really, really dive into it versus just the kind of Sunday school esque type stories. Really dive into what does the Bible say about certain circumstances, and I even asked my spiritual advisors about things that I was struggling with, and the answers left me still wanting more. And I just I remember I'm like I, this is not this is not for me, so I dropped out. And I decided to do completely opposite thing from Bible college, which was enlist in the army. <laughs> I used to joke, tell people. So I failed my calculus class at my first semester, and it was not because I didn't know what I was doing. I got a B on the the midterm, and I got a, a C on the final. It was because I only went to class thirty seven percent of the time because it was an eight a.m. class. And I remember going to the professor and asking about it. And she's like, well, you only went to class 37% of the time. There's an attendance policy. I was like, what? There's an attendance policy? I didn't know. She's like, well, if you were on time for the first day of class, when they handed out the syllabus, you would have known about that. <laughs> so then I dropped out of the Army because, you know, the Army definitely is going to let me sleep in. I was, yeah. I was kind of a knucklehead as, a, as an 18-year-old. And I remember at basic training, I would go to church. And the only reason why I went to church was because, one, they had to let you go. But two, I knew it was at least one hour that I was not going to have to do any extra duty. I wasn't going to have to do, you know, clean boots or clean weapons or clean the grounds or anything. It was an hour where I just got to sit and rest and sometimes not off if it's been a really long week. <laughs> but again, it wasn't like I was not going there for anything other than than that. And the second basic was out that I graduated from basic training. I didn't really do do that anymore. Didn't do the church thing. No. So here you are going to Bible college, going to church, even as you're in boot camp and, and start out your career in the army. And yet spiritually, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I was I was lost, but I had no idea. Okay. Because I didn't believe. Like I I looking back now, I could tell that I was still searching. Like I was still searching for purpose. I was still searching for more. I wanted more out of my life. And and I thought college was going to be it, and it turned out not to be. So I was like, well, I'm going to try the Army. and I'm going to try military service because I always have loved the country and, and wanted to, to help and serve. So I enlisted. I was a medic, so I enlisted as, you know, try to help people in that regard. But even then, I, I, I still was lost. I still said things I shouldn't have said, done things I shouldn't have done. And fast forward a year later, I'm overseas. And there's an old saying from World War II that says, there's there's no atheist in a foxhole. And it's true. The first time you get shot at, you're going to start believing in something real, real, real quick. It might be your battle buddy next to you. It might be, you know, your M4, but you're going to start believing in something real, real quick. And for me, it brought all the messages, all the stories that I had heard, all the study that I did, even in the the brief time I was at Bible college and uh, back and like just sort of rushing back and, and it culminated in, in a really bad, really bad 24 hours and probably the worst 24 hours of my life. And I'm just sitting there at a camp covered in, in sand and blood and in dirt. And I felt an arm on my shoulder and it's a chaplain. He didn't say anything to me, he just like got down, kneeled down and just hugged me 
And then for like five minutes, and I'm like, I'm like weeping. And he says, Hey, man, I just want to let you know. He's like, God's here with you. God loves you. That, that was really it. Those two sentences, that's all was enough for me to be like, all right, there's got to be, there's got to be more like, because I, I can't do this on my own. And that's what uh, really started my searching that continued for years. I, I'm not going to say that like I woke up the next day and was just like, I believe everything again. It was a process that mm-hmm. involved a lot of study and discussion with other people that culminated probably in about two, three maybe even four years that was like, all right, you know what? This is, this is real. There is a God. He does love me. He did send his son to die for me. And because of that, I get to experience joy on this earth, but also eternally forever. And it was just, you know, it was a process to kind of get to that point. That's fascinating for me to, to hear. And what I'm most intrigued about is the statement you said during that very, terrible 24-hour period, you said, it all came rushing back to me. And here's what we know. We know God's word works. God works faith in our hearts through the message of the gospel. And you, even though you were just checking a box for the previous you know, 10 years of your life at that point, going to church, guess what you were still being exposed to? the gospel. It was there. And for some people, they might have the, you know, conversion experience like Saul did, where he was turned to Paul, you know, like that. For other people, it might not be like an overnight thing as the case is with yourself. And say more about that, both the the moment where you're like, yeah, it all came rushing back to me. And also uh, the flip side to that, where you're like, no, it, it really wasn't like this light bulb moment per se. It was really studying more of God's word with other Christians the next four years. Yeah. So the moment part is interesting because it was, as he's saying this word that like God is with you and God loves you. I remember hearing that like growing up my entire life, God loves you, God loves you. Like there's songs, lots of songs that <laughs> talk about that, but singing them, I was only singing the words, not mm-hmm. really the meaning, if that makes any sense. And, and coming back, it was, that moment was just the rush of understanding like true understanding that there is a God and he does love me. Now the process as to over the next several years and honestly still in the middle of is is growing. What does that look like? Okay, I I know God exists. I know God loves me, but how does he love me? And that's kind of the, that process where I never doubted God's existence. I never doubted that God loved me. It was more okay, well, how does he love you? How do I know that? How can I show other people that? And I made lots of mistakes along the way. You know, I went all over from being super conservative and very, very literal with everything the Bible said to being a little bit more on the liberal side to kind of finding a middle point and then finding the humility to be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have the the answers. But what I do know is, is that God loves, God loves me. God chose me and I'm going to continue to do the best that I can. I think we'll come back to that point you made about how you're still discovering more and more of God's love and more and more of what his word has to say. And just the humility that you have always exhibited the whole time I've known you to really approach God and his word with that really awesome attitude. But tell me, after the army, what was your experience life, both, I'll say, spiritually and personally? So when I left the army, I was in the reserves at the time, and I hated civilian life. I hated it at first because I, I didn't have a 
purpose, I felt like. Like I knew what I was doing in the army. Like I woke up every day, I knew what I was going to do. Sometimes it sucked, but at least I knew what I was going to do. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was trained as a medic, but that doesn't really mean much on the civilian side. I mean, even to be an EMT, there were things that I was allowed to do in the army that I couldn't do as an EMT. And it really wasn't a, a job that I felt called to. I remember I was, so I just got a job in the restaurant field just to do something, find something to do to get me out of the house while I was working to try to go back to active duty. I met a girl and I had been going to church with my old church, but it was different because while I had grown and matured a little bit, the church hadn't. And some things that my dad had done in the past came to light and this church actually asked my family not to attend church anymore. Wow. And I I said some things to the pastor when I found out about it that were true. I mean, it was in the gospel. I wish I had done it a little bit more out of love than out of the anger that I was in, but I was 20 years old just out of the army, you know, and like combat tours and everything. Like I thought I was some hot stuff. Um, yeah. So the church that you and your family grew up in, you get back from serving in the army and you're much more mature in your faith right now. You would actually consider yourself a Christian, no longer just searching. You're finally home. You're at home at church too. And the church asks you to leave. Correct. Yeah. Because of some things that my dad did years and years ago and that he had admitted they weren't right. Yeah, but he had asked forgiveness and, and had started that process years ago. And but this stuff kind of came to light. They asked my family not to to attend. So I went and I went with my mom to go because she was a Sunday school teacher. So she went uh, to go turn in the keys, and she was crying. And I said, "No, I'll take the keys, and I got some things to say, anyways." <laughs> and so I was like, I had just sworn off church, so I didn't go to church for like three or four weeks. Man, sorry to interrupt you, but I just think about like experiences so far too that have really impacted your life where at eight years old, a negative experience at church and now at 20, another one that just made you stop going. Yeah. So at that point, I had sworn off going to church in my head. Then it kind of went to the girl that I was interested in. She had just came back. She had gone to Denver to visit some family. They went to a church, a non-denominated church out there. And she came back. She's like, hey, I really want to try a non-denominational church. So she had gotten a flyer or, or a mail-in something from a local church that had, was just starting up. And it was a non-denominational church. And she's like, hey, I know you're kind of in this church thing. Do you want to go? So I changed my Thing from I'm never going to go to church to like, okay, well, I'm only going to go to a non-denominational church. Okay. And this is kind of a theme throughout my life of I would set restrictions on myself and then change them whenever it was convenient for me. And this is one of them. So I went with her to this church and it was relatively small at first, but she she loved it and she was wanted to be very, very involved in it. And I was like, all right, sure, I guess we'll we'll jump right in. And this was a church plant, right? This was, yeah. yes. I think they had been there for about a year. So they were still relatively new. And so I'm like, all right, I you know, again, I had no idea what I was volunteering <laughs> for, but I'm like, sure, go ahead. Like I don't have a ton of skills, but put me where you need me. And then I was there for 13 years. Wow. So you had gone from not being 
in church at all. In fact, swearing church off to diving right in. What were some of the things that you dove into and what was that whole experience like? Yeah, so this is is fun because I had no idea what being a part of a church plant really meant. Growing up, it was always like the old... Baptist established churches for the most part where serving meant teaching Sunday school or maybe being in the choir. And that's kind of it, helping out with VBS one week in the summer. And that was kind of the the extent of it. And this was not that experience. <laughs> this was everything from set up and tear down to uh, making coffee to greeting. And I found that I love to serve. So I started off with just simple things as just setting up we met at the movie theater at the time, so we would just set up banners and, and the intro table and help set up uh, sound, plug stuff in. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I constantly had to have people tell me, they're like, no, this goes here, this goes here, plug this here. I'm like, okay, until I got it. And then and then it was fun for me to try to figure that out to expanding to helping run a soundboard, you know, and getting taught that and then helping running slides and, and helping with that all background stuff, which is things that I had not really had experience with, but I loved it. And then as that church continued to grow and expand, growing into more of a leadership role, helping lead small groups. And I remember talking to the pastor and just saying like, hey, I don't know what I want to do, but this is what I want. <laughs> this is if I could pitch my perfect thing. I want to, to, I specifically said men at the time, but I really want to help men who are struggling to be men of God, you know? And I think that there's a lot of great books out there, but sometimes they're contradictory in itself. And I think sometimes I think it's important for us to kind of dive into some root causes of what it means, you know, why are, why are men failing the way that we are sometimes? And he's like, oh, it's interesting. And he kind of gave me different options. And he mentioned something called Celebrate Recovery, which I had never heard before. And it's a Christ-centered recovery group. And I was like, that's interesting. I had heard of, you know, AA and NA and, and some other groups like that. But this was not specific to any one thing. It was any hurt, any habit, any hangup, anything that is keeping you from being the men or women of, that God is calling us to be. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So he, we ordered the stuff. I went through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is really, this is really, really awesome. But this is where I'll say that I messed up. <laughs> because I didn't follow all the rules or the guidelines because I was still in a little bit of that pride issue and I thought I knew better. I thought that I knew better than the program who'd been around at that point for like 20 years. But like, no, I know better. I know, I know the people of this church better than, than this book, than the people who wrote this book. And so while it was a good group, we didn't accomplish what the book was intended to accomplish, what the program is intended to accomplish. It was very short-lived versus kind of teaching a, a process. And then fast forward several years later, I led that Celebrate Recovery group for two years. Mm -hmm. And then because of work commitments, I had to stop and pull back from it. And a couple of other leaders uh, attempted to, to keep it going, but it, it eventually died out. Okay, so you started Celebrate Recovery. You were part of it with some other leaders, eventually fizzled. What drove your interest from the get-go when you were kind of thinking about serving in church and you're like, you know what, I specifically want to help men. What, what drove your interest with that? So it all started because I was married, but I had a secret. I still had a secret. 
And my secret was, is that even though I was married, I still struggled with my thought life, with keeping pure thoughts, making sure that I wasn't thinking of other women inappropriately. I was not thinking or looking at sites inappropriately. I had struggled with that all my life, but I didn't know it was a struggle. I didn't know it was anything wrong until a very good friend of mine had stood in front of a church and admitted that he had had multiple affairs and it all started with just impure thought life, impure search history, which led to improper chats, which then led to improper conversations and improper dating and eventually like full on affairs. And I I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, if it could happen to him, it could definitely happen to me. That was the moment where I, where I realized what I was doing was wrong. What I was doing was dangerous. Dangerous to me, dangerous uh, to my wife at the time, dangerous to my children, you know, dangerous to my testimony, dangerous to my ministry, dangerous to everything. You know, I mean, I watched this man and I walked with him as he lost everything, you know, and, and, and so we, we walked together because I went to him and I told him, I'm like, hey man, I'm struggling too. And that was the first moment where I realized that I need, I needed help. I couldn't do this on my own. Not that that stopped me from trying to do it on my own. I still try. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm smart. Like I'm smart, I'm tough, I'm determined. I can, I can stop this on my own. And for God, God had blessed some people with that capability to be able to walk away from certain things. I am not blessed in that way. And I couldn't, I could not do it alone. And so that's when I realized, I was like, well, I, if I can't do it alone, I need to find somebody. Mm-hmm. But who do I, who do I trust? Who? So, so in a large part, Celebrate Recovery was to help other people, but also to help yourself. Well, yes. Well, this was, so the Celebrate Recovery was two years after I had that realization. Okay. And this friend of mine and I, he lost a lot. Like I said, he lost his family, his job, his his career, a lot of his friends. And you know, like I want to say I'm like this perfect because I, I struggled with it a lot with him as well. But I also knew what he was going through, at least in, at the beginning of it. And so I wanted to let him know kind of the same message that mm-hmm. God still loves him. Mm-hmm. And, and I can show that, you know, and so we would, we would go to all, all you can eat buffets, bring a chessboard, and we'd just stay there for like four hours. We'd like <laughs> close the place down and, and we'd just talk. And he was seeking some deep counseling. And, and a year after he made that, that confession, him and I started a workbook together, actually with a couple of other guys. But once the work got real hard, a couple of those guys kind of dropped out. And so mm-hmm. it, it ended up at the end just being him and me. And we worked through this this book together. And and while I won't say it like magically healed anything, it helped. It helped a lot. And and I wanted to bring that to more more people, especially men, because I, I think that that is one of the most prevailing causes for men is, is, is that they just struggle with, with maintaining a pure thought life, especially with just how easy it is to look at something on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at and, or look on something on a computer that you shouldn't be looking at and the danger that can be. And I think one of the biggest lies that Satan has said is that it's okay. I mean, because I know, because I believed it for years. 
I think you you hit on it just like culturally, technologically, just how easy that temptation is put before men and women's eyes. Someone struggling with that now, listening to this, what would you say to them, or, or what would you say to someone you know who who knows someone struggling with that? Well, those are two very good questions and two different answers. One, for anybody who's struggling with it, one, you're not alone. I think even I, once I knew that what I was doing was wrong, I still felt like it was just me. I felt like, you know, especially at a church. Growing up, we didn't talk about the dangers of pornography or impure thought life. Like it just wasn't mentioned ever. You know, even at Bible college where, there were some strict rules about relationships with members of the opposite sex. It was not really mentioned or, you know, outside of just it's bad, but not really why it's bad. So I think first and foremost, you know, you're not alone. Second, sometimes the hardest part is just convincing somebody who's struggling of the dangers of it. I mean, I lost my first marriage because of it, partly because of it. I, I know people who have lost jobs, careers, friendships, because of it, not to mention just the internal things that it can it can do. So it is a real, very, very real danger that tends to get overlooked. It's not thought of in the same way as being a drug addict or being an alcoholic. But I think in some cases it's even more damaging or just as damaging than anything else. It's just like any other addiction. So one, you're not alone. Two, it is it is dangerous. Three, it's okay to seek help. It's okay, especially for men who have this stigma of we got to fix it. Again, I, I said, I thought I could do it on my own. I Googled how to stop addictions and I would do everything I could. I mean, like everything from um, just keep myself super busy, like try to find a new addiction. And it was running or working out. So I would work, then I'd go to the gym, then I'd go to work, then I'd go to the gym, then I'd go run thinking, well, if I'm just too tired to do anything, then, and that would work in a temporary basis. But, you know, three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, it, that's not the answer. It could be part of it, but that's not the answer. You need to walk with other brothers and sisters. So what brought me back to Celebrate Recovery, I said that, you know, I, I taught it for two years, then it fizzled out. And, and my wife now, Christy, was giving her testimony at a sober recovery. This was before we had started dating, but we had been hanging out for a while. She called it Wednesdays with Will because I. this was during Lent. And for Lent, we had decided we were going to give up using electronics for entertainment. So no Netflix, no video games, no nothing. The whole idea was to read books, to get back into like the, the basics, read books, go out with friends, play games, like actual board games with friends. And it was great. But what it eventually got down to was it was just her and me who continued to, to do it throughout the entire process. And so she she was secretly calling it Wednesdays with Will. And we would just hang out every Wednesday. And she invited me to hear her testimony. And so I went, and it, it's an amazing testimony. And I knew a lot of it, but I didn't know some of it. And so it was really good. And the leader of that Celebrate Recovery invited me like to stay. They're like, hey, you know, why don't you stay to open share? And I was still finding it very hard to say no to people. So I was like, sure. And I went and and it was amazing. It was one of the most amazing experiences because it was men all sitting in a circle, all admitting 
taking off their mask of I have all the answers, taking off the mask of denial, taking off just all their mask of pride and just being humble enough to share what they were struggling with and share both their victories, but also some of their the things they were struggling with. And I just remember sitting there thinking, wait, you struggle with that? Wait, you struggle with that? I struggle with that. And just feeling this sense of I'm not alone and in the sense of of hope in there, not because there was any magic answers, but it's just just amazing. I, I think of the verse in James where it talks about you know c- confessing your sins to be you know mm-hmm. to be healed, and and that's what I felt in there. Not that again, it's a process. Not that I magically walked out of that that room feeling, but what I did was I felt hope again, and and I also remember thinking, oh, this is what celebrate recovery is supposed to be. Well, this is what's fascinating to me is that you are having this realization even as you had not been a stranger to recovery groups. You enjoyed the blessings of that just with you and your friend. Then you enjoyed it as a leader and getting to start a Celebrate Recovery group. But you still had yet really experienced what you're describing right now until you kind of came back to it and not by any purposeful decision that you made because your then friend, now wife, Christy, invited you and, and you stuck around and you realized this this sense of community and realness that was there. Yeah, and I think that's, I love the way you put it. I, I say this to people, my like, God doesn't really care what brings you into the building. <laughs> like for me, it was just a pretty girl. <laughs> and then, but then I stayed because of the community, the honesty, the healing that I, I saw. I mean, these were people that, you know, a couple of years ago were in jail and were in some of the lowest places of their life. And now they're sitting here leading a recovery group and just have so much joy and passion um, for Christ. I'm like, man, I want to emulate this. Like I, I haven't been to jail, but I want to live my life the way that you guys live and just your passion for helping people. So let me ask you about this. You experienced what you described as community, honesty, and healing in Celebrate Recovery and flowing out of that passion for sharing the joy that you have in Christ. You've experienced it there. What has been your experience of seeing or not seeing that community, that healing, that joy, that passion in the local church? Ooh, good question. I think that there's still a even in our church, there's still a little bit of a stigma of like how much to share. I think part of the reason why Celebrate Recovery is successful is because there are all those guidelines. The ones I didn't listen to the first time I was there, mm. there's a reason why they're there. They're important. I realize that now and, and you're not going to find any more stronger proponent of those guidelines than me because I understand the importance of them. So I think that that's part of it is, is that because of those guidelines, because Anybody who's sharing knows that as leaders, we are going to enforce those guidelines, whether or not it is things of keeping that focused on you. So we don't really want to talk about your brother's feelings, your wife's feelings, your husband's feelings. Like we're talking about you and focusing on you to make sure it's not doesn't turn into a complaint session or something as like confidentiality and anonymity is critical you know, and just doing everything we can to squash any type of gossip, any type of, you know, and and having people really believe and buy into the fact that what's said in the group like stays in that group because we don't have 
those like set guidelines at church. I think some people still have that fear, fear of of knowing how much to share. And I still struggle with that. I've been involved in celebrate recovery for five years. I've been in leadership for three of it. And and I still sometimes struggle with people outside of that recovery group of how much to share, when to share. And I I feel like I've got a pretty good idea and balance of that now, but it is it is hard, I think. In regards to the joy aspect of it, that part I've I've always seen. That part is is not necessarily something that I think that a local church, ours included, lacks. I think I see the joy. I think I see hope. You know, I think people can experience that. Where that tends to be grown and and cultured is outside of Sunday mornings. That's where life groups and events, or just not even a structured thing, just going out to coffee with somebody. I think of all the times we've had just coffee and, and just talking, you know, whether or not it's about a spiritual issue or or what, you know, I think of stuff like that. That's kind of where everything else, the authentic conversations mm-hmm. happen. The joy that you can see and the hope is is from the personal one-on-one or, you know, small group type conversations. No, I think that's really a keen perspective that you don't necessarily need programmatic guidelines to foster that realness, that sense of community. If you have a recovery group and that's there, great. If you have a recovery group at church and it's there, great. But really where you're going to see it is personal one-on-one relationships. And then that same joy and passion that flows out of any program that fosters that, you're going to see that translate over into people's lives, both in the church and just their lives as they live in the world around them. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I think of uh, my own personal discipleship. And I think the people that I I consider my mentors probably wouldn't even call it that. They just do it naturally. It's just who they are, you know, and it's 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 everything from trusting them when they say something, you know, having them hold me accountable and me trusting them that I can go to them with whatever I'm struggling with and know that I'm not going to be judged that I'm going to you know, be loved and that I'm going to get good godly advice, even if sometimes the advice is, I don't know, but let's pray about it. You said the word again, let's talk about it. You said accountability and you and Christy were praying for if you should and where you should look for another church. And you said one of the one of the factors that was high, if not the highest on your list as you looked for a church was accountability and a tradition of accountability within the church and the church body. Now, I remember you shared that with me in one of the first times that I got to sit down with you and Christy, and I was positively surprised about that. Again, surprised. And the reason is because we come from a church body that has a longstanding tradition of of being conservative, of being traditional, of having a church body structure where that accountability is there. And oftentimes, I think people who grow up with that kind of get a sense that, that people don't like that. People outside of that culture and community don't want that, that they might find that stifling, that they might find that overbearing, or just in some kind of way, not what you're looking for in church. But here I'm sitting down with you and what's very familiar to me, you say, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. You want to describe that from your perspective? Yeah. So 
if you guys remember just, uh, a little while ago, I said, I was like, well, I'm only going to go to non-denominational church. And we did. I went to this church for 13 years. Christy was part of it for eight years. And what was interesting was when, when we decided, we're like, oh, okay, I think maybe we need to start looking for another church. The reason was because of a lack of accountability for the leaders. You know, that friend that I talked to about that, that admitted he was the lead pastor of that church. And I don't know for sure, but I suspect that if he had a stronger support system behind him, that he would have maybe not gone down fully down that road. You know, it would have been able to be caught a little bit sooner. The same thing with just, you know, support in general. And so when we decided we were going to start searching, we one of the things that Chris and I both decided independently, and then when we talked about it, we found out we were on the same page, both a little bit surprised. I was a little hesitant to bring it up to her, was the idea that we wanted to go to a church that was part of a denomination. And the reason being is because that means that we weren't going to experience some of the same turmoils that we had experienced at this non-denominational church, that we would feel confident that a major decision wasn't being made by one person. It was, you know, it was going to be made by by more than just one person, which tends to to lessen the chances of fallibility and which was important to both of us. And we also wanted to know that our own leaders, people we were looking up to, you know, while not putting them on a pedestal, working very hard to do that, not, you know, understanding that they're still human, at least knew, felt confident that they had somebody that they could rely on if they needed to. And I think part of the problem with some of these churches is, is that some of these pastors don't know that. They don't know that they can rely on other people. Uh, I think sometimes they fall into that pride thing as well. And we didn't want that. And so when we started to search, we were also looking for a... Yes, one with a denomination, but one led by uh, a pastor who was humble enough to admit that when they didn't have all the answers and be able to seek help. And so we went to several churches. Like it, the way was not just one. It was we went to several of them, and some of them we crossed right off the list because conversations we just didn't feel. I, I'll put this one on Christy a lot more. Christy has a, a gift, a lot more of discernment than I do. It takes me a couple of conversations to figure it out, but it was it was a conversation that we had, probably the same one when we told you about that. Mm-hmm. And you were just very open and very earnest and very honest about your passion, just not only for Fredericksburg being relatively new, but just the church and for reaching people. It was just amazing, like so refreshing almost in some ways. And I told Christy, the only thing that stopped me was I was like, hey, this is a startup church. I know what that takes. <laughs> Are you sure <laughs> that you wanted to, to do this? Knowing that it's a lot of work in the beginning, but it's worth it because you kind of see it grow and mature as well and be able to be a part of that and, and to know that you played a role in that. And, and that's kind of what she said was, um, she's like, yeah, she understands. She also felt a lot more confident because I've learned how to say no a little bit more. She was, her one thing, she's like, you know, you can still say no, right? Like, it's okay to like remember that you have a family and you have other obligations and, and learn how to balance that. Whereas I didn't have that the first time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could tell a story about that. The, you've served as a as a group leader here at our church before, and then there came the next season where you said no to me, and I'm like, okay, 
I, I respect that, knowing uh, where, where you've come from and just how thoughtful you are in those decisions. That was a decision that you guys made three years ago to be, be a part of our church. And the thing you were looking for was that level of openness, not only from the pastor and the church leaders, but just the openness in the church community. Tell me about your experience of that since deciding to be a part of our family, church family, I think three, maybe four years ago. Yeah, I think the only thing I will add is we were also looking, while well, those were things, the, the third item on our list was we wanted a church who was based on Scripture. We weren't looking for, we call it the Twitter churches, pastors who were, who were very big about finding whatever hashtag new Twitter saying that their followers could, could say. We wanted one that were focusing on what Jesus said. <laughs> and so it was actually... It's actually one of the education months that we used to do that really convinced me. And it was the one that you talked about the Holy Spirit. We, we really focused on the Holy Spirit. And I don't remember ever, ever in growing up in church, even going to Bible college, having an in-depth uh, conversation about the Holy Spirit that then, then in those four weeks. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is a church that cares about teaching everything that you know and sharing it and, and to as many of the people as possible. And I was very impressed with that. As regards for community, it's amazing. I remember walking in and we were meeting at the movie theater at the time and feeling a little like anxious. I had not been to a new church in 13 years. <laughs> and so not knowing what to expect, not knowing really anything about Lutheran churches at all. Even that morning, we're like, we don't even know what to wear. <laughs> like that's how <laughs> that's how anxious we were both feeling about it. And then walking in and like being greeted like right away, but not being harassed and just like you know introduced and being like shown where the coffee was and which is great because then we can grab coffee and kind of take our time doing that until like <laughs> time to church. And, and and my thought was, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to be able to like sneak into this theater because it's dark and like just, you know, get in the back row like most guests do and try to sneak out. And, and we walk in and like all the lights were on. And I was like, oh, well, well, all right. But again, it was just, everybody was just so welcoming. Like they just, they'd introduce themselves. They asked how we, how we heard about the church, but it wasn't like this rush to like, all right, well, we're going to sign you up for all these things and try to do that. And and it was just so nice. And, and we even, just having a brief conversation with you afterwards, we had filled out the connection card and, and we just had a very brief conversation. But then three days later, I hear a knock on the door and I open it up after our dogs are like going crazy and you are standing there on my front porch. And so I, I went outside and you had like this little gift and you just wanted to like thank us for coming to church and ask us if we had any questions about it. And I was, I was floored by one, the personal touch, but two, the, the fact that you were humble enough to, to come and just introduce yourself again. And I think that's when I was like, hey, I think we need to meet again. <laughs> and, and not only that, but look, just even in the life groups that I've been a part of, I've gotten the the same sense of feeling that I got at the Celebrate Recovery groups was the same feeling that I started getting at our life groups, especially the last couple of years as people are starting to get to know each other a little bit more and, and leaders are getting more developed and feeling more comfortable being 
real because I've always said it starts with leaders. It always is going to start. You know, if the leader is willing and able to be vulnerable enough to be honest and open, then it lets everybody else know that it's okay to do that too. And and I'm starting to see that. And it's very amazing to see the relationships that are being built um, because of because of stuff like that. And you know, to you don't just see it on Sunday mornings. I mean, yes, you do. You obviously see it, but it's throughout the entire week. You mentioned you didn't know much about Lutheranism. You didn't know much about what you were really looking for in a church, but you had some criteria. And one of them was one that teaches the Bible. And you were very much enjoying the education months on the Holy Spirit that we covered. And then you and I got to sit down in our foundations classes. And Will, you had not a few questions as we went through that. Do you remember maybe some of the themes or the things that you were that you were really particularly, I don't want to say stuck on, but that this was this was new to you and you were studying this for the first time and, and you really had to work your way through. Do you remember a few? I remember at least one. Oh, I def- the top one is definitely going to be baptism. <laughs> okay, and specifically <laughs> infant baptism. Infant baptism. You know, and, and and it didn't help because at that time there was a certain infant inside your wife Christy as we were going through this correct. class. Correct. Yeah. So you didn't know that until actually, you were the first person we told outside of. I know. I know you were the first person we hadn't even told anybody. Oh, pastor privileges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, you were the first one. So my wife Christy was pregnant with with our youngest son Finnegan, and and so that, yes, I obviously had a lot of questions about it because that's not the way that I grew up. I mean, not the way that I experienced it for thirty three years of, of my life was this idea of of infant baptism. I had also had questions about communion, and mm-hmm. I had questions about. Pretty much, I think, every chapter in there. But I think baptism was definitely the one that we had the most questions or the most challenges or the most things that I I struggle with. Yeah, because it was so different from your experience growing up in a Baptist church, in a non-denominational church. Now you come to this church and we're pretty open about baptizing babies. And then to talk about why we did it, we really looked at what scripture said. Yeah, and I think... And just the foundations class as a whole was amazing. In in most church membership classes, not that I'm an expert, I've only, you know, but are usually only maybe one class, maybe two, three hours. Every now and then you'll have two um, that are broken up into like hour and a half segments. And this one was a lot longer than that. And mm-hmm. at first, at first, I was like hesitant. I'm like, man, this. I mean, you handed me, I handed us the book, and it's like a book with like fill in the blank answers. I was like, man, we're got homework. And and Chrissy loves it because she loves stuff like that. And I'm like, this is a lot of work. But then as I started diving into it, I really appreciated it because it reminded me of some things that I had forgotten. Also challenged me in some things which I loved. I love to be challenged to to like, hey, why do you believe what you believe? Like that's been always sometimes one of my bases for studies. Why do I believe what I believe? Okay, well, what does the Bible say about it? And the entire foundations class is pretty much, what does the Bible say about blank? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's great. That's a great way to put it. So I think baptism was definitely one, one that we probably slowed down and had the most length of time just talking through, you know, what does the scripture say about it? You know, as you said, what does that really mean? What does that look like? And 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 then talk through a bunch of that because 
we were going to have about to have a baby and we were freaking out, like Christy especially, like freaking out about like, oh my gosh, what happens if we don't get Finnegan baptized and then something tragic happens and and like having to like call you, I think. I think we called you or sent you an email, but like, all right, we got to ask you this question like right now. And, and you being like, okay, no, here's the situation. And yeah, then, I remember that very, very fondly because I think not only was I the first one to find out about Finnegan, I think I was the first person to meet him because you and Christy went from saying no way about this infant baptism thing to then being like, oh, yes way on this infant baptism thing. In fact, pastor, we want you there at the hospital when the baby's born so that you can baptize him. And I said, that's awesome. And I, and I did, I came and then we did it. I remember we did a devotion at the hospital and I also shared for anybody who's curious that they're listening and this is a really real concern that a lot of people have once they understand the importance of baptizing even babies is, I need to do it right away. You know, in case, like you said, something tragic would ever happen. And and we shared that baptism is is not something that we need to do out of fear of something bad happening, but it's something given for our comfort. And so we didn't baptize there right away in the hospital. We waited to a Sunday, I think, two weeks afterwards where you and the family were able to come to church and we did the baptism then and we're able to celebrate it then. And that was a very special, special occasion. I know for your whole family, still a special memory for me. Yeah, and you are you are correct. I think Finn was something like fourteen hours old uh, at the time. We had a lot of a lot of fear, which is not always the best thing to make decisions out of. But then when you came and in and we sat and we did the devotional and we prayed, and that's when you're like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, like I'm willing to do it. I got all this stuff right here, but I just want to let you know there's there's this option as well." And and I think that that one hearing that we're like, okay, and that I I think was part of one of my concerns or issues with it was this like what if what if what if like I'm really great at asking the what if questions most of the time in my head um, but this time I was like not in my head it was I'm gonna ask new pastor Matt all all the what ifs that I had and once you you shared look this is what this is what it means there's hope <laughs> um, kind of thing if something like that it alleviated all our stress and so yes we were able to we, you know we we are like all right well no we would really love for our family to to be a part of it. And and it was amazing to having never done. Yeah, I I we witnessed it once before being part of an infant baptism was amazing. Like it was just so much fun to be a part of to see the joy and this word bringing back the the word joy, the joy on everybody's faces in the in the the community it was very fun to to see and be a part of. We talked about it specifically with infant baptism, with your experience in foundations class, but uh, a couple different themes or passions you've mentioned throughout this conversation I want to key on here. And one is discipleship. We talked about it in particular with you and you continuing to study throughout your life. Say why that's such a passion for you, maybe bigger picture as you look at the whole you know, world of church. I think it's because being a Christian sounds easy on paper, but then when you actually start diving into really what that means, especially what Jesus says in in gospel compared to what the world is telling us, it's not going to get any easier. (laughs) And so I think part of discipleship is mature Christians helping newer Christians who are more susceptible not that mature Christians are perfect. Again, the temptations are different and they have usually learned how to 
to deal with them, how to respond to them in a in a safe and godlike manner. Mature Christians helping newer Christians know how to, equipping them to not only spread the the word, the good news, the gospel, but also how to protect themselves um, against the the trials and tribulations. You know how to respond in circum- certain circumstances. I, I've shared this story before. It's one of my proudest and also non-proudest moments of my life, I was going through a divorce and it was not a very pleasant experience. And I was staying at a friend's house for a couple of months. He had opened up his home to me and let me stay in there. And what was amazing was at the end, as I was getting ready to move out, I had gotten an apartment. I was waiting to move out. He he sat me down at the, the kitchen table. We had just finished uh, eating dinner. And he's like, hey, man, I just you are very different now. Oh, even over the three months, you know, what, why are you taking this so well now? Like what has changed? And in me being able to share with him, like I, I really went back into the word. I really had had to lean as I, as everything else was getting lost, uh, had to lean on Christ a lot more and, and allowing me to act out in, in faith in that. And it was not a great conversation. I, in regards to, I was not the most eloquent I was stumbling a lot. I did a lot of ums. I did a lot of stuttering. I did a lot of pauses. But at the end of the conversation, he's like, that's interesting. Hey, can I come to church with you on Sunday? And then months down the road, he's getting baptized. He's part of a church. He's singing in the worship band. He's no longer in Virginia, but he's still going to church and is still making Christian music because cool. he, he had a passion for music. And, and and so I just think through, I think part of discipleship is, is first and foremost living life in a unique way that people are going to ask questions about it. Like if you really live in the Christian life, it's going to be so contrary to what most of the people are doing that people are going to notice and they're going to ask questions. And then don't do like me and just stumble and bumble through. Although that can work too because God can use anything. But just be prepared and be ready to to be able to share why you are different. And I think discipleship is getting people prepared for that. And also just sometimes being Christian means getting knocked down and having somebody to kind of help get down into the pit with you, help you out, brush off your knees um, and say, man, God loves you. Well, I think that note right there is so powerful because looking at that over your whole faith journey, where you started, where you're at now, and just being able to look at the life of a Christian or the life of anybody and saying that I don't have all the answers, I'm not perfect, and yet that doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian. We are simultaneously sinners and saints, and that is who we are, and that is the life of a Christian, and being very open about how that fits with you know your life in the church, outside the church, whether you are a brand new Christian or you've been doing this for a long time is really powerful. Well, discipleship is one theme that I wanted to hit on. Here's another one church planting, you decided to do it, even though you had some reservations that you were going to be a part of another church plant. What has church planting been like for you getting to do it now twice? Yeah. So 
It's interesting. I think the reason why I have loved church plants is because it is easier in many ways to find a way to serve. Like I'm not a gifted musician. I'm not going to play in the band. I can play like three chords on a guitar and a little <laughs> bit more on a bass. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm not a gifted singer. Nobody's going to want me on a microphone when it's singing. Making a joyful noise is definitely what I do. Mostly the noise part. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that I, I couldn't do in in you quote established churches, but you know what I could do? I can pick up a box, I can plug in a speaker, I can hit an arrow on a button. And and so I found that being part of a, a startup church gave me a lot of opportunity to serve. It also allowed uh, me to kind of be a part of the growing experience of being diving into, you know, and trying out different things. You know, some worked, some didn't, but being able to explore and being able to challenge myself. I think, I don't think I ever would have thought of myself as, for example, running a soundboard or, you know, something simple as that or even doing this. Like, I've always been. You know, somebody who is wanting to be more in the background because I've struggled with pride in the past. So I've wanted, I've never wanted to, to do that. But being part of a, a startup has kind of challenged me and expanded me and grown me and shown me that I have a lot more gifts than I thought I did and shown me some gifts that I thought I had that I don't have and just given me a, and Christy an opportunity to to learn more about, you know, how God can use us. And being part of two different church plants has been interesting. And I think, again, this kind of goes back to the non-denominational thing. Being part of a non-denominational startup, even though there was like uh, a background ministry kind of thing that was kind of funneling money and, and, and some resources into it, it was still kind of fly by the seat of your pants <laughs> a little bit, decision-making, whereas you know, being part of this startup was not. And it was a lot more transparency, which we didn't even know we wanted. <laughs> but apparently that was a thing because we, I remember us talking after a church meeting one time and like, oh, okay, like that's why like, we know what, we know what's going on. We have a budget, we know what's going on. You know, that's why we, this decision was made. It makes sense. Yeah, we're all for it. Let's do this. And I think it also is great for, our kids to see us serve and not just show up on Sunday morning, leave Sunday, and that's it. Being able to show, I mean, they see us help us celebrate recovery, you know, which is great. And they see us do some other things ministry-wise, but being able to serve in church and, and, and being able to share with them that it's not just about singing or preaching or being up front. You know, it's it's a lot more about our attitude, you know, and, and that and being able to to come with a humble heart and just being joyful, that word again, <laughs> joyful to be able to to serve and to make sure that other people are getting served as well. So last theme I wanted to hit on as we go into more of an overview of things we've talked about throughout this podcast is the way you think about your life as a leader, both in your work as a person who is now a leader of a Celebrate Recovery group, someone who is a leader in our church in different volunteer roles that you have, and most of all, a leader in your home with your own family, your wife, your children. Say more about that. Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I have found myself 
in more leadership roles in the last couple of years. I'm a supervisor at work and now blessed to be the ministry leader for the Celebrate Recovery Fredericksburg, being able to, to lead a couple of life groups here at The Way and and still help lead or volunteer wherever, whenever I can doing different things to make Sunday morning happen. But yeah, I think one of the newest passions that I've had is to be a leader in the home and in what that entails. And that's always been something that I have had an interest in knowing more about and and in learning more about. And I didn't always handle it the best way. And I'm still not gonna say that I'm the best at it. It is still I'm still learning that role. But one of the things that we have implemented that I think has been great is my oldest son, David, started his confirmation class. And I don't think what Pastor Matt knew is is that while part of it was done on Sundays, a lot of the work is done with me and, and David throughout. And it wasn't just David learning. It was me. As I'm reading these and going through all the, the work, the verses, the Bible, I'm learning a ton and to the point where I'm like, man, I need to I need to make this more of a habit of, of reminding all of us. And so during family dinners, we go through part of it, you know, and sometimes we'll have a really good discussion about it. Sometimes it's just me reading and there's not really anything else. It is what it is. That's what the Bible says. But other times we have these great conversations and it's been great because it's been able to remind both Christy and I about it as well, educating our sons and our youngest son, you know, is starting to pick up you know, even just small things like Jesus loves me and, you know, and amen, like he understands what amen is. So I think that that, as I continue to, to grow as a leader, I'm excited to implement new, and by new things that have been around for hundreds of years, but but able to to use those to kind of help grow myself and my family. What's really been fascinating to see you grow in all those different areas. And then for me to not even know the backstory behind why you're passionate about being a leader in your home, why you're passionate about church plants, why you're passionate about continuing your Christian education and the life of discipleship. So this this whole conversation has been just tremendous for me to hear the story and to get to know the man even more behind all of that. And I, I got to share this with you as we close this conversation. Uh, it was earlier this year that I got a call to serve in another church. And that was a unique thing for me because it was the first time that I had that since serving here in Fredericksburg. It was also a really uh, unique experience for our church because they had never, we have never had that before where I had a call to another church. And it was especially unique for people who maybe have never been a part of a Wisconsin Synod church before to be, wait, what's going on? And you were uh, one of the first people that said, hey, I don't know what is supposed to happen here, but I do think I need to talk to you. <laughs> and so I remember that you invited me out for coffee and the conversation that we had there, I won't get into the personal encouragement that you shared there, but what I remember just like being blown back by Will is just like, what was happening here? Here is somebody who tricked me and said that they had a church that they were plenty happy at, and yet now was very, very much a part of our church in so many different ways, has grown, and I've gotten to see their faith grow in their time at this church, which is still relatively pretty short. <laughs> four-year-old church. And now they were in a position where they were offering me just so much encouragement, so much perspective on 
our ministry here, uh, the church that is all of ours together here. And the words of encouragement, just the counsel, the advice you gave me won't soon be forgotten. And it just meant so much to me to have that coffee conversation. And I am hopeful that the encouragement the counsel, the advice, just the perspective that you offered in this conversation, Will, uh, is going to be a blessing for anybody who listens to it. So thanks for thanks for that. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think I'd just close and be like, hey, if anybody has any questions about celebrate recovery or if you're struggling with something, like don't be afraid to come find me, come find Pastor Matt, come find John, come find my wife, Christy. Like we... I have no doubt in saying we have a passion for helping people and and I am more than willing uh, to listen. I don't have all the answers. I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't even think I have maybe 20% of the answers, but I can I can point you in the right direction, which is the cross. I can be really, really good about doing that. And I love to listen to people and talk to people. I'm definitely willing to do that for anybody. Thanks, Will. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. To get more content designed to connect you to Christ and to community, please subscribe or follow The Way Church wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or you can head to our website, thewaychurchva.com, for more information.